about it we most likely met or you know, like some mutual post or whatever shitting on somebody in like Tim Black's uh, yeah, Facebook group or something similar and then I just you know reached out and said hey I'm uh, I do my own podcast I host my own group and whatnot and uh, I'm always trying to get like-minded people over there and we came over and invited another one of the friends and um, yeah and we've and we've had a, a pretty good exchanges so far yeah um, yeah, I can't exactly remember where, but yeah, that, Tim Black is the, the closest I can remember. I don't know, We're roasting someone or other, you know, just <laughs> make <laughs> jokes indicative of one's politics, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of the because uh, I, I was never uh, somebody to be much of a bully, um, yeah. but it's like now that I've gotten older and things have gotten a little more complex, I'm like, no, you know, bullying can be right when it's it's uh, uh, when it's when it's done. You know, saying in the proper context, and uh, some ideas, some ideas, and some you know points of view should be um, highly fucking criticized. <laughs> yeah, there are some things you should not just let people say without challenge or question. You know, like racial epithets or like you know things meant to intentionally inflame, like 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 speech to like like hurt people's feelings and like stir up like disingenuous debate that kind of thing. Yeah, no conspiracy theories or you know yeah. misinformation, you know yeah. that stuff. The one, no, the one big. exception I will say. Say that again. Oh, I said that's big now. That's all. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, pseudo intellectualism, intellectualism. Um, you know, and that's and that's just you know, and the thing is that you know, a part of that is just being savvy and realizing, hey, what is effective for getting people animated. You know, getting them to be active, uh, you know, about a particular issue, and uh, you know, some people are just really have, have really, you know, boiled that down to a science, like Alex Jones. Um, yes, Alex Jones is—he's a cold—he's just like a, a tempest of bullshit, man. It's a shame because I know you're a little bit younger, but it was like oh, in no, his twenty-six. Twenty-six. Okay, I'm only thirty-one. There's only a five-year difference, but I, but it's like I I distinctly remember him making his name as as the really Branch being Davidian a, guy, right? Say that again. Like the Branch Davidians after they um they all, well, that whole uh, ordeal went down with the ATF and everything, a bunch of them got shot. That was what I had read was his like entree into you know work as a political provocateur. Oh no, Alex Jones has been active if not since like the late eighties, then in the nineties to various oh, degrees. Yeah. He's 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 um yeah, he's been around in the game and he's always and that's the thing about it, is that like he was always like independent, doing his own thing, and for a long time he was actually seen as being like he was seen as just being like um like an honest libertarian, like really actually going after the you know, the government for their bullshit, whether it's encroaching on civil rights or foreign wars or 
fiscal policy, but he was a lot more he was a lot more um, honest. Mm-hmm. And in the last and in the last, I don't know exactly when he started doing the the, the bullshit and focusing more on like supplements and the political pro, uh, provocateurship, but it's like it was a gradual thing. You know that happened over that happened over decades, but he's been at this you know since like I said, if not the '80s, then the '90s, very least. Yeah, he's, he's he's deep in the game, and it's it's really kind of a shame to see him kind of go from the what would be called like a more honest, I guess, libertarian uh, ethos to this, you know, like right wing libertarian slash like fascist. Um, yeah, slash used car salesman kind of deal with all the you know the supplements, the super male vitality, all that shit. Oh my god, yeah, all that shit, you know. Yeah, um, he's such a clown. So yeah, but. It, yeah, it's, it's a yeah, it's a shame, but 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 yeah, but that's you know that is, the only thing I was gonna say was an exception with the bullying thing is that like, because you one of the things you mentioned was like to hurt people's feelings. To me, that's one of those things where it's like it's contextual because it's like sometimes people I look at it like this, like you know people will bring up studies you know talking about how spanking your child is and I distinguish between like spanking and like shit and beating, but like spanking your child you know makes them. You know, is in PTSD, is in trauma, or whatnot. And then I was thinking about, okay, but did you think that maybe it's good for them to have a certain level of understanding of what the cost of violence is, so that way they're not somebody that goes out and just, you know, engages with it, you know, saying so uh, casually, or is so afraid, and you know, they're like a deer in the headlights when they do experience violence because they never had any sort of acclimation to it to any degree. And I'm not saying that, once again, I'm not saying that that should necessarily come from, like, being spanked as a child, but yeah. it's one of those things, it's one of those things that, like, oh, it reinforces, like, oh, okay, there are, really are consequences, and this shit hurts, and I should be mindful before, you know what I'm saying, the things I say and I do. Yeah. All right, so on the, the 26th of June, like, last month, the, there was a story that comes out about, like, the... The Taliban is being paid bounties by Russia to kill U.S. troops, and it's like, yes. all right, well, why did this happen? This happened because Trump was talking about pulling us out of uh, what the 20-year Afghanistan war. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, we're gonna pull out like a bunch of these troops, and we're gonna pull troops out of uh, you know Germany as well. And like this is like the only good thing that he does is like sometimes he just like. <laughs> wants to, like, make wars smaller or maybe, like, pull out of, like, a conflict that it seems like an obvious defeat to, like, everyone in the U.S. And then they come up with all this this crap to, like, to frustrate that effort, like, to, to stop him from doing the only thing that's, like, like really popular that he's doing, like, popular in the sense of, like, a lot of people like it, like, even people who aren't, like, in his base or whatever. And, yeah. I guess, like, real quick, with, with that, because um, that's a story that I didn't, I didn't personally look into it very deeply. If I mean, I, I mean, obviously we could understand it just from you know um, general rivalries between the states. But is there any other greater incentive for Russia or or, uh, or excuse me for Putin or Russia geopolitical interest to stoke that that because um, it wasn't like the, it wasn't like the bounties were recent. They just came into the news cycle recently, right? Well, it's like to my mind, it it really is sort of irrelevant because if you're if you're in a war zone, like if you're occupying someone else's country, that makes you a legitimate target of war. Like, like how what I don't I don't understand like what like you're saying with the framing of it. It doesn't make 
sense to me, like, why this is different from just, like, ordinarily U.S. troops being killed in conflicts. Like, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't see any differentiation there. Well, the th- yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's the thing is that, like, well, the thing is, is that, like, is Russia, I guess, like, officially on, like, Afghanistan's side in this, in this shit? Well, or, or? you have to get into the history a little bit to sort of understand, like, their involvement in it. But Right. I mean, I know before like, they've been there... Yeah. There was the, you know, I know before that was a major conflict, um, but I, yeah, I guess like the question is then: has that is it still stemming from that same, you know, general rivalry for territory and different, you know, resources? Is, is it basic geopolitical shit, or is it like something deeper? Um, well, it's 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 a mineral rights conflict, really. Right. Okay. And also one one about political power, but like. The reason that Russia has an interest in, uh, you know, maintaining good relations with the Afghan government and being on the side that wins and everything is because Afghanistan is real, real close to Russia. You know, like, <laughs> the, Trump has talked yeah. about Venezuela being in our backyard. Well, you know, you, you got you to gotta look at a, a map of the Middle East, and then you, you, you get a circle, Afghanistan, circle Russia, and it's like, oh, well, it's not, like, right there, but it's pretty close. You know, it's, it's, it's right closer to there than it is to us. Yeah, it's closer to there than it is to us. Yeah. And then, like, you, you're trying to understand, like, their their geopolitical interests. Like, this... Like, we don't even know that it's true that the, that the, they were being paid bounties because this is, like, intelligence said... Like, that's... Intelligence says it's, like, the sourcing on this entire reporting story, which is ridiculous as well because there's so many examples of, like, us being misled in all of this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like the the uh, provocation that got us into the Vietnam War, which we also went through about 18 years of before we finally got out of without you know fully like conquering the country. There was thankfully. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you remember the Niara one? Like when there Niara. was no, that it doesn't ring any bells. But I mean, there's plenty of historical examples. The Gulf of Tonkin. Oh, not the Gulf of Tonkin. The fucking um. Uh, oh, that, was that the correct? Yeah, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Yes. Yeah, um, and plenty. And there's, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's plenty others then yeah. and now. I mean, hell, there was just a report that came out about um, within the last year that talked about the reasons that we got into either Iraq or Afghanistan were complete bullshit. Oh yeah, like the, the entrance to the Iraq war was based off of the the supposed yellow cake uranium. Like that lie that Colin Powell told uh, to the Congress, which was ridiculous. They based it on shipment, yeah, of, of aluminum tubes. Uh, there was even like Afghanistan. Even like after 9/11, they were willing to like you know send Bin Laden to some country to like be prosecuted in their courts by the U.S. And the U.S. was like, nope, we're gonna invade because that's kind of what we wanted the whole time. Right. Exactly. It's it's just like used as, as pretextual, and then then. One sort of ends up wondering, well, you know, like, what about 9-11? You know, I don't want to, like, I'm not going to, like, argue that for you here now. But, like, you know, all the all the arrows kind of point back and, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, kind of point back to it. Like, if you look at Afghanistan, the, the conflict, essentially, you, you can start in about 1973 when it becomes a democracy, right? It stops being a monarchy. And for about five years, it's ruled by the guy who makes it into a democracy. And then there's a coup and the communism happens. There's a military coup where they kill the guy who's in charge. And then a whole bunch of shit starts going down in Afghanistan. In 1979, the U.S. tries to knock the government down. 
the uh, Soviet Union at the time, which then encompasses like all of this area, which is a partial explanation of why Russia has these geopolitical interests in the area. You know, they have control of a lot of like, things. They see kind of see it as lost territory. Yeah. In some respect. Well, because they were they were supporting the um, the government of Afghanistan, which had declared communism, was like helping to I don't know maybe join the USSR or just be communist. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Like, Carter starts arming them, Reagan keeps arming them for all of his terms, Bush starts arming him, then, you know, 1992, the Soviet Union collapses, and then, like, 1989, the Afghanistan kind of collapses, and it's just, like, chaos for a really long-ass time, until yeah. the Taliban come to power in 1995. And okay, then, now, like, on the Taliban, um, now, before you go further, can you give a little more context about the origins of the Taliban um, and why and why they were able to uh, grab a hold of the reins of power uh, in a relatively short amount of time compared to the other interests that were uh, at, at play at, at, in the area. Well, it's because the U.S. government was arming them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Taliban are a group of, I would say, reactionary uh, Muslims in Afghanistan that did not like the communist coup and that in collaboration with foreign business interests and the United States and the entities that the United States uses to conduct regime change war and things like that, that they wanted to overthrow this communist government so that they they began arming uh, armies of radical uh, Islamic fighters, which they would recruit them from like all over the, the Middle East. And they would bring oh, yeah. them in Afghanistan, and they would fight in the Mujahideen, which is one of the central things that I want to talk about in all of this. Like, you see, okay, what like the U.S. Um, what separates the Mujahideen? What separates the Taliban from the Mujahideen? Um, sorry, <laughs> what separates those two? Uh, those two groups. <laughs> uh, well, the Mujahideen was it was just a militia force that was like a proxy army, like you hear about it in Syria or whatever nowadays. It was that that was under uh, the, although I guess not, maybe not under the direct control, but you know, pretty much under the direct control of the U.S., like funded uh, by them, run by Osama bin Laden. Everybody, you know, the the 9/11 guy, that guy, yeah. that guy okay. was. I mean, he he comes from a really prominent like Saudi family, so he was working with intelligence to have this proxy army in Afghanistan to take political power and to topple the USSR, you know, friendly communist government that came to power in 1979? Yeah, in 1979. Okay. So and so Osama, so Osama already coming from a prominent Saudi family, and we know that it's, it's, it's fairly common knowledge amongst those who look into it that a lot of the really reactionary, the modern reactionary, um, you know, Islam, you know, Islamic um, extremism is largely a product of Saudi. Yeah, hold on a second. I'm going to end this and I'm going to call you right back. So, Neil, before we got started, we were um, we were basically talking. What this started with was the supposed revelation that Russia was paying bounties for the Taliban to murder U.S. soldiers. Uh, while they were occupied in Afghanistan. And from there, you started talking about 
the Mujahideen, which you had said was funded um, or that was kind of sponsored by like the CIA and various other interests that wanted to topple the um, first the democratic and then the communist uh, regimes in Afghanistan. And this created a proxy uh, situation between them and Russia, or excuse me, the USSR, which of course was communist at the time, and saying that the Mujahideen was also involving Osama bin Laden, a prominent Saudi uh, figure who was also, uh, I guess, espousing Wahhabism or this very reactionary form of uh, Islamism and was also working with various uh, intelligence agencies, I'm guessing from the U.S. and Europe. Yeah. He was always um, a U.S. intelligence asset. He was he was working sort of as like the the liaison from the you know powerful part of <clears throat> Saudi Arabian society mm-hmm. because you, you can't just have you know um, you know some honky spook show up in the middle of the Middle East and be like I want you to be a fundamentalist um, Islamist and right. you know don't don't worry about this like they you know, they can't they can't do that that blatantly that'd be a little bit no. too much right 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 so they would work in um together with Saudi Arabia who you know is a major uh, oil exporter who we've always we've gotten our oil from and a lot of our allies have gotten it from like mm-hmm. we work with them to sort of like protect our collective <clears throat> like global military interests mm-hmm. like the, the the interest of the hegemony if that makes sense of of the US military oh yeah yeah, yeah. so it, sometimes they they need um irregular forces in and these sorts of things. And sometimes they need forces that that they, they can use to do things that regular militaries can't get away with in this right. ever increasing hybrid war, where you know basically people people do things other than use actual like militaries to accomplish military objectives, like yeah. you know terrorist attacks, shootings, assassinations, all of this kind of stuff that was more used to be more in the realm of uh, statecraft, but now mm-hmm. it's sort of it's it's just more of like statecraft but pretending it's it's not. You get someone else to do it. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So okay. Them and and the bin Ladens. So the Mujahideen like uh bin Laden establishes them and then they work to overthrow the government uh, the communist government of Afghanistan and then once they've overthrown the communist government of Afghanistan, the Taliban comes to power. And for a while, the U.S. is willing to work with them, and then the Taliban asserts its, you know, they assert their dominance over the Mujahideen, like yeah. as the de facto rulers of the country. And now we're in 2001. Okay. And this is, you know, this is <clears throat> sort of where I'm guessing, like all of the anyone like watching or listening to this probably would be picking up somewhere around here, like in their own experience of all of this, however much yeah. they've studied it or not. Right. Yeah, because I distinctly remember. Um, I remember the day, not the day. Well, obviously it was September 11th, um, yeah. but I remember. I, I remember the- when I was not <laughs> and I had to walk up uphill both ways to go to school twice. That's right. That's right. It was uh, it was only eight miles uh, both ways. But uh, <laughs> but no. But seriously, I remember I was on my way to school, and whatever radio station we were listening to, they you know went to this emergency broadcast. And the thing is, I had never even been on a plane up to that point or known, you know, even, you know, know anything about like Middle East or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and whatnot. So that was just like, so it was just a revelation on many different fronts. Um, so, but you were, you were writing. And so I'm like, I'm only like 
maybe 11, 12, I'm only 11 years old. Actually, I'd be, I'd be 12 years old. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was only 12 years old when this happened. And so this is a revelation on many fronts. And then, you know, kind of like for me and many other people at this time, you know, John Stewart, uh, the daily, it became the host of the daily show and, you know, kind of helped, uh, the political awakening of a generation in many respects. Um, cause he was like the first person who could help like break that shit down and was using, you know, in, in, uh, in, infotainment and like one of the first mainstream, like, uh, forms of like infotainment. He was one of the only people who already like had the political lexicon of like, where is Iraq? <laughs> what right. is like Iraq? What yeah. is Afghanistan? What is Islam? Like, and I mean, you know, looking back at him, like he, he's definitely like a salesman of you know what I would call like the war state. But like, even the ones now are so much less critical of it than he was, and also much more ignorant of it than he was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know too much about John Stewart's, you know, background. I know he came up as a, you know, the standard uh, uh, stand-up comedian, him and Colbert, and many of their, you know, contemporaries. And then they, um, yeah. you know, but they decided to become more politically literate and more, you know, uh, sharper in their commentary and incorporating, you know, what I'm saying um, all the different, you know, rhetorical devices. Um, you know, I, like I want to go fuck yourself, choir. That was classic. <laughs> Dude, there was a lot of classic moments. Like it's something that I need to revisit. You need to revisit and just and just uh, you know the Baskin. Um, uh, but before we get too before we get you know too too uh, far into them, let's stay focused on the issues of Afghanistan and all the different powers uh, which are you know have their hands in the mix there. So we come. So now we're up to 2001, which, as you mentioned, was kind of like the uh, for many people. Um, mainly in the mainly in the U.S. Uh, and Europe, I'm sure, like everywhere else in the world, they you know already know about this in the general public. But this is kind of like the first yeah. time the general public in the quote unquote Western society uh, was becoming privy to this part of the world. Yeah, this was sort of erupted out of nowhere. It's like you were saying when you were like 12, like. The fact that nobody knew who had attacked the United States on 9-11, or not, well, I mean, some people did. The, the, the yeah. general public certainly didn't. That was a part of the, the propaganda that was going to be used, mm -hmm. like, to, to sell all of these wars. It's like, the fact that we don't know who the bad guys are means that we don't really have a concrete objection when the U.S. starts going after countries that are not related to the 9-11 attacks, and mm -hmm. just, nobody really stops to question that, and then they fire some journalists who complain about it, you know, mm -hmm. it's, Real fun stuff. Like you just you just start. I don't know. Like living with with all this immediately ginned up and provoked Islamophobia mm -hmm. from from the attacks. And yeah. It's 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 just crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that lack of when you. It, it's that it, it comes from just a lack of familiarity. Because as I said, it wasn't just like. It'd be one – you know, I didn't have any history – understanding of the history of this nation. I didn't know this nation existed. I didn't understand, you know, what these different institutions uh, like the CIA and the, and the you know, Department of Defense and all these different, you know, political apparatus uh, – apparatuses, um, what they were or really what they were doing, and then also the shit that was uncovered – uh, later down the road about what they were really doing that they weren't telling us about because <laughs> there was plenty of the shit that they were telling us about that was fucked up enough uh you know and yeah. and you know and thankfully people's opinions shifted um unfortunately unfortunately it wasn't enough general mass action to really affect things yep and 
And then we got uh, we saw Obama being used to quiet down what you know meager anti-war movement had arisen through the Bush administration. You know, Bush two, Bush yeah. the second. Yeah. Well, the thing you know what's funny is that like you had mentioned earlier how you um, how you felt about John Stewart. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't say that I that I agreed to that you know extent. Obviously, he's a little more um, yeah. uh, you know liberal Democrat and whatnot. Um, I just I just think that I look at it as just kind of like in his own way maybe he was a little naive about just how immovable some of this shit was and how he um just kind of kept returning to the same whipping post a little too often to me that's what i really feel like he kind of stepped why he stepped away from it and why he hasn't really tried to like step back into it he's kind of realized like it's just kind of pointless like yeah you know this shit but i you know but i will say about like obama is that like he it really is to me just like a small r democrat you know uh Oh, excuse me, a small R Republican. <laughs> yeah. um, small R Democrat. A like small like R Democrat. Joe Biden. Like, uh, no, Joe Biden is a big R Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, 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 um, but yeah. yeah. But, um, but continue on. So, so, you know, we're, so we're moving from the revelations in Western, the Western general public of Afghanistan and really uncover and really understanding the history of all of our conflicts because now that people's interest is stoked by this now they're like okay what the fuck else has been going on what else has been oh shit we're in half a dozen other wars who are these people what do they do to us you know what i'm saying and and then all the statecraft as you alluded to and you know um i guess kind of like go back and forth between like then and you know how the mood and the sentiment of people's understanding has changed within that time and then like the stifling of, you know, democracy and journalism and free speech and criticism of these things. And I guess this will also go into like the media and propaganda at some point as well. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, oh, that's a, that's a big beefy question. Um, Tackle as you need to. All right. I will. Uh, actually, let me, let me get a panel. I want to get all of those parts. You said, uh, it was really just kind of connecting the dots between yeah. 2001, September 11th, and uh, I guess up to this point, or however long you want to go into, maybe like just up to Obama and whatnot, because Trump gives his own animal. But like, yeah. I guess kind of like between like 2001 of H.W. Bush to like Obama and the end, Obama. the end of Obama, and how that connects with, you know, tying up our tying up the statecraft. Uh, how warfare has changed and how media is, and propaganda has been utilized throughout this process. Yeah. Statecraft, propaganda. Yeah. Uh, so from 2001, like, you know, we, we immediately go into Afghanistan and <clears throat> we send special forces after uh, Osama bin Laden and they nearly get him and he escapes and you know, we get all riled up and hopping mad about it and <laughs> in 2002 I think we formally invade Afghanistan but we, you know we had troops in there in 2001 after we started hunting for Osama bin Laden and then they start you know building out from this this um, incident of Islamophobia established by 9/11 like they go out to, to settle their debts in the region like like you're saying like it's mm-hmm. It wasn't easy for people to understand, like, what the hell we were doing in Iraq after Afghanistan because, you know, while the countries are fairly close together, they got Iran in between them, like, Americans, like, just like we didn't know about Afghanistan, we didn't know about Iraq, Mm -hmm. and we didn't know about the the previous 
you know, history of the United States in Iraq. We don't didn't know about the history, the colonial history in Iraq in the 19 like 20s. We didn't know about the fact that it became a democracy. The fact that the CIA mm-hmm. overthrew that democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know the fact that it came to be uh, dem- democratic again, and then that yeah. uh, Saddam Hussein was sent in there and tried and failed assassinating that government, and then mm-hmm. was installed by the CIA. And, you know, was committing the same war crimes that were used to justify the invasion of Iraq at the behest yeah. of the United States and the State Department and the CIA. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't, you don't get any of this information. And they're like, they're, um, um, Iraq has uh, weapons of mass destruction. Look at Colin Powell with this mm-hmm. yellow king uranium <laughs> bullshit. Like, that ended his political career. He was like a... Yeah. a prominent black military figure when there weren't a lot of them and he was like yellow cake uranium you guys there's something about nukes and aluminum tubes dude do you remember the dave (laughs) dude do you remember the dave chappelle the dave chappelle uh skit did you ever catch that yeah in a a fucking in a fucking (laughs) now he's all like hey careful with that hey i got into this special cia napkin (laughs) (laughs) goofy ass motherfucker But no, but the yes. thing is, dude, like, you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's so strange. Not, I mean, it's not really strange, but it's just like, damn, like you risked your career, everything you had developed for, for this, for the promise. And I'm sure, of course, he got his cut. He got his check, checks, you know, saying from this, um, it is, it just shows, you know, how ghoulish, you know, so it just reinforces that, like how much so many people. Even somebody like a black person who has to come up to the ranks and understand their place in this fucked up society, how willing they are to pass that buck on, you know what I'm saying, unto other groups who can't readily defend themselves. Yep. There is one um, character or you know, a political actor who came out of that situation who I do genuinely appreciate, mm. who is uh, – I want to say Larry Wilmore. I think he was the chief of staff for Colin Powell when they put together all of this, uh, you know, yellow cakery. So he, he has become now a, a critic of U.S. empire. And it's not like he's like this like principled like left figure or anything. He's just like, like he, he began to realize that they were not operating on a really rational basis and that a lot of the military like, commanders were morons and a lot of, you know, the, the ways that they were understanding the world were flawed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wait, so hold on a second. So Larry Wilmore, the only Larry Wilmore that... Oh, no, 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 not Larry Wilmore. Wilmore. It's Larry, yeah, Larry Wilmore is the... The comedian, the writer. Yeah. I mean, he could have had the same name. That's why I wasn't... What is his last name? Larry somebody. Yeah, I didn't know. I I thought maybe he he could have the same name. You know, that's why I was just like, I was like, really? (laughs) No, no, not Larry Wilmore. I do miss Larry Wilmore, though. They kicked him off of Comedy Central for being too black, though. Well, honestly, you know what the thing is? Because I saw his show. Um, I watched that show a few episodes because he's been responsible for a lot of great um, content. Um, you know, not just the Daily Show, but, but a ton of other things that I didn't know about. But his particular sh- some people are really – to me, Larry Wilmore is somebody who's really good at working behind the scenes and working on the scripts and, and helping you fill out your stuff. He's not as You, you good. didn't like the show as much. I don't like the show Larry as much. Larry Wilkerson, hey, Wilkerson. Is the I'm talking about. I encourage you to find him talking about stuff on the internet. He is he's a great figure to listen to in commentary of Okay. Okay. Empire and War. But yeah, I don't know. I still like Larry Wilmore better than um <clears throat> Trevor Noah, you know. Oh absolutely yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Trevor Noah is a douche, you know. In, in my estimation at least. Oh, I agree. He's a mod he's basically 
he, he basically just fits in with the um, not even like the squad era Democratic Party, but like the old guard. Like he just fits in with like the old guard of the Democratic establishment. Cause, and one of the things that pinned me to this, and then we'll get back into um, uh, yeah. Afghanistan and whatnot, is and Iraq and Libya and Iraq and Libya, and then of course there's not, and then of course that's you know Iran, you know there's not to say anything of like Iran and shit, but um. Oh, but we, it, we would if we could. We would if, if we could. Yeah, but um, but there's plenty of other topics to get to. But the thing I wanted to say real quick about like Trevor Noah, that was a revelation. There's another podcaster who's been around for a minute, um, YouTuber mainly, uh, called Dusty uh, Dusty Smith. His um, show is called Cult of Dusty, and one of the things that he talks about that he brings up because they got his uh some of his videos taken down is a clip of Trevor Noah's stand-ups, one of uh, his stand-up specials. And Trevor Noah makes a joke out of criticizing the miners that were part of a resistance movement in South Africa. And they, um, it was a huge thing and several of them got shot and it was a huge fucking deal. And basically, and he was so cavalier about it. And, and his he, like perspective yeah, he, was a, such a ruling class perspective. It's just like stupid miners. Ha ha ha. Yeah, like what did you expect? You you know you're gonna get shot. That's basically the same mentality of those who talk about the protesters who get hit by car, run over by cars and shit, and being like, well, you we were in the middle yeah. of the street, and it's it's really the same thing. And so, um, so yeah, so fuck Trevor Noah. But getting back into, yeah. um, oh, can, and, can I put another block on the fuck Trevor Noah pyramid? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so th- there's a, a YouTuber non-compete who does a lot of yeah. explanations for like left theory and non-compete got a copyright strike from fucking yep. trevor noah and viacom on that shit so yeah that was it yep no absolutely Just- the, the funny thing is is that like i'm pretty sure dusty brought that up because i think those videos came out at the same time because i think that clip just happened to resurface at the same time yeah. um but but yeah because both of them are you know very good um leftist content creators and yeah they got they got uh fucking copyright strikes and shit for that for that yeah and, that's um, pretty censorious. Yeah, I mean that's how sensitive he is about his image because he knows how fucked up it is, you know, and how much it, and how fast it can spread on the on the interwebs. But um, um, but getting back to it, and I know that there are a lot of other countries that you know are involved in the mix. Um, yeah. we do want to kind of try to keep it centered around you know Afghanistan and then Iraq. Yes. Um, um, you know, and then once again tying that in into uh how this how the how the reins were handed from how things were handled, excuse me, under the H W Bush era to obama's uh era and then and then from there going into like the media and um propaganda machine okay so to to come through let's see like i started we started with uh carter who started arming mujahideen and then reagan continued arming mujahideen and then by by bush the project was beginning to be finished like we were seeing like the ussr really start to come apart at the seams yes and so like one of the major goals was to to draw Russia into a trap in Afghanistan and like you know exhaust them and their military and their resources and just like you know hasten their demise. So that was yeah. that was achieved, and then <clears throat> Afghanistan becomes sort of a secondary political goal through the rest of this. This is when this this chaos opens up when the Taliban comes to power in the mid 90s, which takes us to 2000. 2001, rather, where the U.S. Uh, you know invades Afghanistan, and then we have this U.S. sanctioned government installed in Afghanistan, which you know everybody super duper loves that. Mm-hmm. Like they're like the Taliban continuously adds to the negotiation conditions of the Trump administration that the quote government of Afghanistan not be allowed to participate in the negotiations because they view them as illegitimate to such an extent, which is shocking, really. Yeah. So we have. Once we have this, like, like general, like, manufactured, like, media, Consent. like, 
Yeah, <laughs> manufactured consent. Like this invented reality to par- or to reference Michael Brenty, who always complains that he wrote uh, Inventing Reality two years before Manufacturing Consent, which I encourage uh, you to read both books. They're both good books. Like all oh, this, this generalized blob of Islamic hatred for the Middle East. When Americans, like we've been saying, we don't <laughs> we don't really know what the Middle East is. So mm-hmm. now we're now we're invading Iraq too, mm-hmm. and they spend a long time chasing Saddam around, and eventually you know catch him and and kill him. Yeah. And then, oh, then you know we start to we start to go after other countries. We go after Libya and Syria. I mean, there, there's some other like conflicts like in the rest of well, I guess that are that are in Africa or that are in Asia that are not like specifically in the Middle East, but that are right. very very directly related to it. Mm-hmm. So let's see, Af- Iraq, yeah, like by 2003 we're fully in there, and we we, we as with the Afghanistan where we sort of. A flirt with like, oh, we're gonna pull the troops out, and then the war will get shitty again. And they're like, God, oh, we're gonna put the troops back in. And we're gonna pull the troops out. <laughs> yeah, it's just we, this yo-yo game. It's just this it's, yo-yo. Yeah, it's a dance. It's a fucking yeah. dance. And Obama was like, oh, I'm gonna be so anti-war, you guys. Okay, I'm gonna be like the most anti-war guy ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we gotta have a surge to to draw down the troops. We gotta have a surge. <laughs> like, what kind of fucking logic does that make? It only makes logical sense if you're. uh if you don't really take... If you're fucking lying! If you're, if you're fucking lying and you don't take yeah. any of this shit seriously. Or you take it seriously, you're just like, you're just going to do what you have to do in order to uh, uh, keep the checks coming in. <laughs> yeah. But Obama, you know, everybody's so, so happy. We got our first black president. We don't, we don't need to have an anti-war movement. So, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot, a lot of that opposition went away. And then in like... The project for the overthrow of, of Libya, which is also, I guess, mm, it's Libya yeah. is technically an African country, but it's very yeah. close to the Middle East. And like, what happens there? Um, basically, we convince Gaddafi, uh, the leader of Libya, to get rid of his nuclear weapons. Yep. And then we fund militia groups who overrun Libya and ultimately, I think, sodomize him to death with a bayonet after overthrowing his government. And yeah. Yep. Is that is that really how they is that really how he died? They Anybody? stuck a knife in his butthole until he died. Oh my they, god! It, yeah, yeah, it's, I, it's, I, it's it's vile. I didn't. I mean, I knew that. Ha- I knew that he was. I knew that that happened. I didn't realize that that was the actual like cause of death. Well, it, it might have been exsanguination, but you know, <laughs> one right, one right. kind of very closely related to the other one. Right. No. Ex- yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. and and the thing is, that was a sticking point to me. And this is one of the things where. I, where I kind of sympathize, where I, one of the moments where I sympathize with the uh, North Korean leadership and whatnot. Yeah, um, you they know, learned that, the lesson. They, they, they saw the lesson that, like, as soon as Gaddafi got rid of his fucking nukes, it was over. Because Gaddafi had been trying for years. He had got on some other um, world, uh, some group of nations or whatever the fuck. You know, he was trying to become more respected internationally and, and, and um, considered a player on the global scale. And he, you know, he very well could have been, could have stayed in power and whatnot to this day if he uh, hadn't have made that miscalculation. He had gotten a little too uh, trusting, yeah. um, you know, but that has, but in, in because of that, he kind of set a hardline example for um, amongst many other nations, North Korea, you know, the presidents of, of Russia and China, you know, so who you both. absolutely cannot trust the United States, especially yeah, US, on the yeah. web. <laughs> Exactly, because the thing is, it's not like there's when you're talking at the level of like state actors, you don't really have a lot of good guys in general, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, because they're all the, US is the good guys. The other guys aren't the good guys. No one with a yeah. nuclear weapon is really, really the good guys. Like, right. Exactly. Especially since they're all willing to throw their respective citizens or other people's citizens um, into the gears of the machine to keep it rolling. Yeah. Um, we you should know. all watch the, the movie The Day After Tomorrow. It was uh, something that was shown to Reagan as a mm-hmm. TV movie that really had a big role in him becoming anti-nuclear proliferation. I think it's public domain on, on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that, that is one thing about you know Reagan. He, he comes across, especially in hindsight, as a more sincere conservative, you know, like actually believing in the, you know, a- actually believing in the rationale of many aspects of conservatism. Because um, yeah. there's, there's been plenty of, like, conservative or Republican arguments um, for nuclear de-armament, um, you know, or at least slowing down the development of arms. Um, but, that's a, but that's a whole other tangent. So let's get back to since, – since now we've kind of wrapped up the – and gotten kind of up to speed on the different conflicts, the geopolitical angles, and, and you know, various interests as they played out over the generations – Let's yeah. kind of zero in more on the aspect of media and propaganda and how, yeah. you know, consent is manufactured or how, you know, people's massage, you know, people's mindsets and interests and motivations are massaged through yes. the various, you know, saying, um, the, you know, the various mediums through which we get information and are accustomed, yeah. uh, uh, accustomed to. Yeah. And, and in this part, I'm going to talk about my parents' favorite television show, Captain Jingoism Murders the Bad Muslims, a.k.a. NCIS. <laughs> so what do we have? We have, we have Mark Harmon as uh, NCIS super agent Leroy Jethro Gibbs, whose family got murdered by a drug cartel. Of course they did. <laughs> his therapy is inflicting violence on whoever the enemies of America are. <laughs> so we know in his backstory that he's assassinated the man who assassinated his family, that he's periodically investigated for it, but he's he's one of the good guys. And he, he knows what's right. He knows what to do, when to do it, and, you know, how to work around the system. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of... Mm-hmm. It, it's just like this prototypic figure, if, if I can get a little bit young in, you know, for a second. <laughs> Archetype? He is, yeah, he is, he is exactly that. He is an archetype of, you know, uh, the national security state's masculinity. Like, mm-hmm. my dog really loves him, which is something that has really fascinated me, because they watch that show with him, and then my, my dog never, ever barks at Mark Harmon. <laughs> and if there's a dog that's barking at Mark Harmon, she's going to lose her fucking shit, because my dog is the most propagandized creature on Earth. Oh, man. And well, like, listen, I mean, Mark, look, look to, 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 to credit, give him credit, Mark Harmon is easy to, uh, you know, he's, he's easy to just kind of get lost in. Yeah. He's, he's pretty hunky, I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like, he has this, like, this, like, terse, like, like, John Wayne in an office delivery to everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it becomes really fucking hilarious until, like, you understand the greater context of, like, oh, he's supposed to come off, it's a false, it's a false, um, it's just theater, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's to give the yeah. impression of, like, oh, I'm a level-headed person who never really loses their shit, except under circumstances which are, you know, except, you know, which are acceptable. It's that whole pacification to make you feel like, oh, yeah, this paternal figure, he knows what's right and what's wrong, and, exactly. you know what I'm saying, he's not to be questioned. Yes, this is because these shows promote 
promote the just world hypothesis, the idea that the world is just and that the cops are the good guys and our friends and on our side and going to help us out and fundamentally a force of good, which is, you know, it's it's one of these propaganda narratives that's very valuable in, you know, selling people this, this worldview that allows them to continue justifying all these Middle Eastern conflicts. Like, because this, this is just like, it's a really good example of it, but there's so many others, like... Like, Law and Order, SVU, like, this one is, it's, that one's a little less, like, you know, globally oriented, because, like, in NCIS, sometimes they'll go to Afghanistan or whatever, mm -hmm. or they'll go to Africa, and they'll protect, you know, the good guys who are inexplicably shot at by this, like, nameless, faceless horde of usually brown people with guns, whose mm -hmm. background is not explained, whose motivations are not explained, whose politics are not explained, but who are mm -hmm. the bad guys, okay? Right. And so, so, so I know you're going about NCIS, and I want you to continue on that, um, but can you also kind of expand on how it's um, – I guess, yeah, just kind of take that and expand it and, and talk about how – because it's far from the only show. It's not even the first one. You know, oh, saying, no. of this of yeah. this you know strain, but kind of like it's actually a spinoff of Jag, right? So like, kind of you know, go from there and kind of you know, jump back and yeah. forth through whatever, whatever timeline or whatever time period you need to. Yeah. Um, but just kind of explain how 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 they have used facets of journalism, media, and entertainment, mixing oh. them up, infotainment, and um, how effective they've been able to get at at um, you know taking control of these different apparatuses. Yeah. So, like, NCIS is, like, it's part of a long history of things. Like, this kind of crap is not, like, new. It's just that it's being uh, utilized for this, this goal to, like, to sell, you know, the, the, the war on terror. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that's, that's why we have, like, shows like this. Like, but if you look back, like, look at what they were feeding the boomers in terms of a media diet. You got shows like MASH, which is super fucking racist. Like, Alan Alda's a good actor. He's got sort of that, you know, Mark Harmon effect. He's just this guy that you really can, you know, identify with, and they just got mm -hmm. him there, and he's a good guy. And then we got mm -hmm. Hogan's Heroes, which is just like this sort of like, like, I guess it's a propaganda effort to, like, undermine, you know, the Germans and the Nazis and whatever, but, like, mm -hmm. it just sort of, like, makes everything, like, like cute and, like, you know, campy mm. regarding World War Two. Shit, you, you, you got, like, the other show that I saw oh, <laughs> when I was at Home Depot for a very brief time was mm -hmm. Gilligan's Island. Okay. And this show is just, like... Well, it, it promotes this, the same sort of views, like, you know, the world is just, and, like, white people mm. are good, and, you know, everyone else is a <laughs> dumb savage, like, they, like, they tricked, because they were, like, stranded on an island after their boat crash, this is the premise of the yeah. show, they, they tricked this, this tribe of, like, what I would say are, like, representations of, like, Pacific Islanders, like, Oh, you, boy. <laughs> you can think, like, somewhere around Ho Hawaii, something like that, and they're, like, like ooga-booga levels of fucking racism. Like, it's, it's, they're, like, oh, look at the fire, and they, like, turn a flashlight on and off, and then, like, the, you know, the, these huge muscular men who are playing these ooga-booga characters are, like, oh, and they get in their boat and fuck off, and they're, like, ha, we sure showed them. <laughs> I mean, that's fucked up, but I'm just, <laughs> Because I never watched those. Um, I mean, oh, I would yeah. catch I would catch glimpses of Mash, and of course, like as a kid, I'm just kind of catching some of the punchlines and the laugh track. I didn't catch like the greater subtext and whatnot. But like Gilligan's Island, I just thought was like a goofball. Like basically, what I thought it was, I thought it was like 
even these guys who are stuck on the island with these women still can't get any pussy. That's that's what I thought the joke. The well, that, that, that's one of the jokes, but like the, the thing that it points out to me is that this undercurrent of propaganda is, is just always present. It's even present in things which are like at least ostensibly totally unrelated to it. Like, oh yeah, abs- you know what? Absolutely, it's the fact that it's saturated in every facet of of our entertainment and media to occupy your headspace. Yeah. yeah, you keep everyone watching a bunch of that all the time, and then they they have this mentality which is. Exactly what's easy to manipulate, like the, the us-them, like when the TV world is like that, then people view the real world as like that. The real world is simplistic, and America is the good guys. And those those guys that, you know, that you see in, like, Rambo movies, or, or as the bad guys in, like, like Hawaii Five-0, or Cops, or Law & Order SVU, or, or Bones, or whatever, like, those are the bad guys. Like, right. Right. Accepting and the simplistic worldview, then then you use the simplistic worldview as a propaganda construct mm-hmm. to sell people things. Like a bad guy did this, we have to go do something about it. And then like the little sing-songy movie narrative in your head is, oh yeah, the U.S. is gonna go send someone to deal with that, and it'll be like an episode of like, you know, insert jingoistic television show here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know and what? Instead, that's not what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you know what's something to add on about movies in general is that, and this is also easily verified as well, is that there is, and as a matter of fact, there's a great film uh, critic. Her name is Lindsay Ellis on YouTube. She makes a lot of great content talking about the subtext of film and the history of film and all the different stuff that goes on behind the scenes and whatnot. One of her greatest videos, I, I think, that she made, video essays, is about how the Transformer movies had to get excuse me, the, the Transformer movies had to get permission, had to work with military officials in order to use, um, I guess, like certain figures or like certain costumes or talk about certain things in their script. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, yeah that's another hugely important and, facet of it. And the thing is, is that like, you know, in other countries, you know what I'm saying, they may have, you may have situations where the state intervenes in the media and entertainment to a larger degree, that's not as big here in America with the exception to films that depict police and military. If you create any type of content that, 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 that displays the military and the police, and it's not, and it's a major motion picture or a major, you know what I'm saying, piece of content, yeah. they're going to want to comb through it. Or you're going to yeah. be denied, or you're going to, or they're going to, come through and wreck your shit to some degree. Yeah, they'll, they'll blacklist you and you'll be an independent film that no one ever sees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You won't get distribution on the major networks. Yeah. Or it's in like... theaters or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. You can have a Patreon, but, you know, they yeah. might fuck that up for you, too. <laughs> yeah. You can enjoy your small-scale shit, but you're never, like, getting the mainstream if you're, if you're too critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and the reason why I wanted you to, like, take that and broaden the scope further is because I finally have gotten around to reading the official book on propaganda by the man himself, Edward Bernays. And, um, you know, and of course that comes from the earlier 20th century, the 1900s, and was critical in helping a lot of companies that have been around today perfect their PR, their public relations, their marketing relations, and really sell people on products um, because he was one of the figures that was cited by tobacco companies in helping them to sell cigarettes. Yeah. Um, and they see very similar tactics used for war propaganda. Yeah, or for anything. I mean, the thing is, yeah. is that like those same ideas are just about catering to human impulse. It's basically how 
Edward Bernays has laid a really good framework for understanding how to trigger people's um, tastes and motivations and shit. You know, yeah. and his focus. And even though, yeah, he was a corporate, even though, yeah, he it was it still for pays him. to read him. Oh yeah, absolutely. But the point I was going to make yeah. is that, like, is that even though he was a uh, corporatist, and I'm sure he would be considered a right winger in many respects, he talks about things very much in a way of just being effective and tries to get away from moralizing um, the stuff. Just kind of saying, like, hey, this is what is effective for getting people to impulse buy or getting people whom are early adopters to latch on to a particular product or what you know or whatever he talks about yeah you know it's really just about effectiveness um but that's why i wanted you to like just you know take it and just expand it and go crisscross wherever you need to go to um you know just kind of talk about how propaganda is a tool uh, something that's always at, at at play i think that you know i think somebody said that uh, as a matter of fact jake said it to me uh, some time ago he said everything is a psyop and I'm sure that comes from something. I don't know if they just made that up. Oh, it's, but, um, it's, it's, a, it's a, a Facebook group. Oh, but is it's, it? It's, it also, <laughs> it's also a funny reflection on all of this crap because so much stuff yeah. is a psyop. Like even, yeah. even stupid, unimportant things are a psyop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but continue on with the, the angle of media and yeah. propaganda and extending from NCIS and just how we are groomed in general in all facets of our – from advertising to marketing to our social life and places that we can go – um, to being conditioned in this manner, or just being conditioned in general. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I'll, I'll talk about what you were saying about the cooperation, like, with the Transformers movies, mm-hmm. like, in in terms of allowing people to use military equipment or uniforms in their films. Like, yeah, they they have like like if, if you look up the list, there's like a list of like I think it's more than a thousand movies now that allow. Um, yeah. That, that have gotten like assistance with their scripts from you know the, the Department of Defense specifically you know the Department mm-hmm. of Defense like the the voice of the state if you will mm-hmm. and a lot of them are like not even like remotely related to any of this like some of them are just like comedies like they're like fucking mm-hmm. dumb rom coms that don't have anything to do with war mm-hmm. and you you see it like absolutely everywhere like. Like presenting like these same like thematic and simplistic narratives like in Transformers, in stupid rom coms, in like you know uh, simpering, disgusting pieces of crap like Zero Dark Thirty and in uh, American Sniper and all of these mm-hmm. like these disgusting, fawning portrayals of what I would call I guess war criminals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the the, the media. Uh, portrayals they they seek to, to to lionize all of this, and they, they they seek to legitimize the action of the state and to to cover for the you know sloppy propaganda narratives. Mm-hmm. Like one thing that one of my buddies um, Steve mentioned to me, and I think it was right around like 2014 or something, mm-hmm. was like. There was, uh, in one of the, the Avengers movies, which are some of the most heinous, like, you know, propaganda-filled, you know, shitty movies that are mm-hmm. all in the same movie remade over and over again, mm-hmm. except for Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok, it's, it's okay. It's, it's still, you know, vile and full of propaganda, but it's, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a much better movie than those, especially the rest of the Marvel. Right. But, yeah, but, like, all of these Marvel movies, like, they have, mm-hmm. like, this, this uh, mentality of, like, <clears throat> you know, American exceptionalist thinking, like, baked into all of them, and they've been made continuously since, like, the start of the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. 
and they're all feeding us these these cultural ideas of you know accepting us as the good guys, you know believing that war is just, that never getting too deep into the political commentary lest we get lost in the weeds and accidentally make you know uh, an actual political point. Mm-hmm. But and that that sort of drifts into what you were talking about about uh, Bernays and like the propaganda. Like, I think it's very critical to do what you're doing and to read oppositional literature about the same topics from alternative perspectives. Mm-hmm. Because if you get lost in your own orthodoxy, then you just end up smelling your own farts. Like after, yep. like mm-hmm. you're like, ah, oh, my orthodoxy is is the the correct orthodoxy. Like I, I have yep. uh, some books, like one from the. Well, PDFs, really. I guess they're not like physical books that I got yeah. off the internet from the Rand Corporation, like a study on you know conducting regime change operations, and also a mm-hmm. uh, a PDF on uh, conducting covert coups and governments produced by the Military War College. Yeah, yeah. And like you can read about like the theories of change that like like revolutionary political figures, like someone like Mao Zedong would write about, like, and you can read about how the security and intelligence services and the military writes about it, and you could see the commonalities. Yes. And, and like, like you said, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to get the perspective of it, like you said, Bernays, without the flavor of morality to the writing, whereas many mm-hmm. of these leftist authors are, you know, they're, they're moral firebrands. Their morality mm-hmm. is the underlayment of their desire to change governments and societies and class structures. Right, yeah. And yeah, it's good to get all of those, you know, different perspectives and whatnot. And, yeah. uh, and one further point off that one. You're oh, yeah, absolutely. No, go on. No, that was it. That was it. Oh, um, well, the, the, uh, the extension of this, this propaganda into uh, what, the, what is now dubbed public relations, like, like <laughs> you know, uh, putting out media flags to cover up for your embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you see it in the corporate world, like, everywhere. Like, or celebrities or, you know, yeah, even, even prominent YouTubers. YouTubers, production companies, media companies, anyone who gets hit with the scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're they're just as much a part of the propaganda industry as anything else, and a lot of them are are very um, pointed political actors. Like like a good example of this is the the Me Too controversy, mm-hmm. and there's uh, it, it came out like all, all the stuff about Biden and how about Tara Reid how it, she had come yes. forward to uh, to what was it was it Me Too or. Maybe two or, or times or times up. One of yeah, them. Yeah, to times up, to times up. I think, I think, like times up being like an actual organization, uh, which was at that point, I think, operated by SDK Knickerbucker, which is a very, very famous <laughs> like uh, K Street lobbying firm in Washington. Like, there, if you if you if you want to understand propaganda, you can just look up like look them up on the internet and see what they participated in. But that this group. You know, that SDK Knickerbocker was run by a Biden um, staff member or, mm-hmm. you know, someone who was in the Biden political orbit. Mm-hmm. And SDK Knickerbocker, which was running Time's Up, opted not to pursue the reporting on the Tara Reid shit after they had gotten right. people like Weinstein. Because he was mm-hmm. just a little bit too politically connected. And, like, this mm-hmm. group, Time's Up, like, before that, they were pretty universally seen, at least by the left and, like, the libs and the folks in the middle like the people who aren't like hard on the right or very very like critical social critical on the left, they were like seen as the good guys, like mm-hmm. you know the, the exposers of rapists and of uh, sexual abusers and the people who cover them up and prevent their um, you know the, the the victimized from speaking to the media and from being heard, mm-hmm. uh, the the flags and the controllers of narratives and those people, 
you know, they'll only go after the uh, the their own enemies. Like they won't go after their own yeah. guys. Serve them. Yeah. Or they'll go after somebody who isn't, as you said, not too big of a player because, you know, the thing is, is that, like, there's always different hierarchies at play. And yeah, so, and sometimes they just like, need a guy to sacrifice. Yeah, exactly, because the thing is, there may have been, excuse me, there may have been plenty of, you know, people in Time's Up whom did, were like, yeah, let's take the shot at Biden. But, you know, may have had somebody else come up to them and be like, yo, 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 we, we, we can't. Like, we won't, like... <laughs> Like we won't be able to. We would basically be throwing ourselves on the sword to potentially, um, you know, to potentially put a couple of dings in his in his armor. But we don't have enough, you know. what I'm saying right now. Now, of course, that's the more generous perspective. I I yeah. genuinely do just think that like, you know, they actually like Biden and don't give a fuck about his transgressions. Um, yeah, that's what I would tend to say. Like, not know. even like believe, but like say. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, but the thing is, there always. But the thing is, there's always that factor as well that you know there are people whom they may want to take a shot at somebody, but realize that um, their best shot will will most likely backfire. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, that the SDK Knickerbocker was not willing to take that to court. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> regardless of their justification. But oh, yeah. You, you see it a lot of a lot of other places. Like sometimes you see the the groups not just as like parts of political parties, but. Mm-hmm. As um, as the the entities of intelligence operations, mm. like you'll see, like I don't know, like um, like human Human Rights Watch, right? Like they're they're notorious for this. What the, I think they uh, they backed the uh, the Guaido government in Venezuela when they attempted a coup. Oh, really? Initially. Yeah, but like what what they do is they they're like Human Rights Watch. Like what a name. What do they do? They go and lend that name to people who are, you know, acting um, either in coordination with a covert campaign or acting like as uh, illegitimate political actors, or they will work to 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 demonize, you know, political groups operating in foreign countries for the purposes of political change and external media campaigns against them. Right. Like they they were very much like backing. Uh, like like the the white helmets for example that's another thing I know it's very spicy in Syria in Syria yeah. Syria Assad and whatnot yeah yeah the contention being that like this uh, well that the Syrian army had used chemical weapons against um, United States or no against someone in Iraq Syrian civilians but like mm-hmm. like this this was all this like concocted like piece of propaganda and yeah that Assad done, against his own people when he was already winning that particular when he was already winning the conflict. Yeah, and that was that was debunked by all these uh, national security state people who got thrown out of it, like uh, Bill Binney and and John Kiriakou and uh, people who are former parts of the OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Yes, like they they had been previously, they had been you know intimidated and threatened by people in the Bush administration to go along with claims about Iraq, and here they were, the same thing again in Afghanistan, bullied and threatened and intimidated by John Bolton to to go along with claims about Syria. Like they they gassed us. It's like, well, let's let's look at the broad general use of chemical weapons in Syria. Like, who who uses them like regularly? Oh, uh, that would be the United States. Yep, the United States, and uh, mostly in like airstrikes and shit. And you know, it gives them to their militias. And how many have times have they used them? In excess of ten thousand. In excess of ten thousand um, chemical weapons have been utilized in Syria by the United States. 
But who who did this chemical weapons attack in Syria? Oh, it was Assad. obviously Assad. It was Assad. Even though he was already winning the war and he was having a general, you know, I don't know about his like approval ratings and whatnot, but I mean, it wouldn't behoove him to then gas the civilians of his own nation in the middle of such a severe conflict, you yeah. know, especially when that gathers so much geopolitical interest. Because of course, this was another one that pitted uh, Russian interests against the United States. Yeah. Uh, and the well, thing, Syria, and the, Syria being the only formal military ally in that region that Russia has, and being their only foreign military base, like mm, pretty big okay. deal. We, we got thousands, yeah. thousands of them. They got, they got one handful, handful, yeah. handful. Yeah. Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize I wasn't well, like, regionally one handful, like total. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. I wasn't aware of that as I wasn't aware of that aspect. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's all just lies and goofery, and there's other examples of uh, propaganda operations in those in the Middle Eastern wars, like during Obama as well. There was the the reporting by the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, which is this uh, UK-based uh, journalism nonprofit, mm-hmm. and they exposed the participation. And this is like a perfect example of like the Bernays thing of a British propaganda firm getting a $500 million contract to produce uh, fake Al-Qaeda terrorist videos to go out and be found in raids. And I will Mm. send you my notes to it, which contains the URL to that story, so you can check it all out. But, like, this is is like a... a I remember that story. I remember that story. Yeah. And, like, it was covered so little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was so well reported on and well sourced, and this is like a mainstream or at least an, an outlet which which can't easily be you know, uh, you know red baited or, or blacklisted or something. Right, right, okay. That did the original reporting on it, mm-hmm. and like <laughs> that, that's that's why like I was saying at the very beginning like that stuff about like Afghanistan like because this like it rhymes with and smells like like this this yeah. uh, fake terrorist videos thing the thing about. Afghanistan, you know, like, the sourcing for the Afghanistan um, troop assassination thing was just intelligence says. Like, whenever they tell you that, like, look at all the other things they've told you. Yeah, and the thing is is that, like, you know, um, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, I'm sure that most people would probably agree that, look, look, you know, when you're operating at these levels, yeah, you do have to have intelligence gathering and intelligence agencies and whatnot, but then when you couple that you know what I'm saying this act this really aggressive uh propaganda campaign and then controlling the apparatus of media and journalism and then you have a populace like in the United States that's already generally undereducated and um just falls under leadership at least certain large contingents of the United States yeah. um it makes know, it all the easier to get away with it makes it all the easier to get away with and now that yeah while a lot of people even conservatives may now say that, oh, Iraq was a mistake and that, you know, Afghanistan was a mistake and whatnot, um, a lot of them are still pretty tepid about backing away from imperialism or, or even just pulling out of these occupations. Or uh, even recognizing it as a pattern. Or even, you know what, that's actually another thing. They, they like to just, they like to just look at shit as a one-off. They try to yeah. be like, hey, you know what, just give us another chance, you know what I'm saying, we'll get it right this time. And it's like, no, y'all seem to have fucked it up. Ever since World War II, it seems like everything that we've gone and poked our nose into was something completely unnecessary and was just about um, consolidating power, you know, which once yeah. again, I understand that that's what you do, um, that that's what's, you know, you do what's most effective um, to get those goals accomplished if that's what you want. Um, um, 
but there's no willingness in like the general public to be critical of empire or to identify empire as empire. Well, we well the thing is is that like so many people don't I mean don't know I mean look how long it took I mean think about like uh, uh, like like a Bernie Sanders um, you know how long he's been doing his thing how long it took for him to gain national uh, acclaim and then look at the fallout from him dropping out from the uh, uh, ending his campaign for the 2020 race and how it's caused so much sectarianism on the left is that we are just operating with generations upon generations of misinformation. Um, Lack of information in general, not really given the context for for you know all kinds of different shit, and so yeah. it's like you know you probably couldn't even go like I'm sure if you went around to most Americans, more than half of them, if you talk to them about like Empire, they will probably only think about either Star Wars or you know, some right. shit, you know or shit like 500 years ago or a thousand years ago or like 2,000 years ago. They, yeah. they don't they don't know how to really put it into they don't know how to recognize. Um, modern iterations of that shit yeah you know modern manifestations um but we're coming up on like 53 minutes um so to round out the hour let's so we've so we've given many different instances of specific um you know efforts made you know what i'm saying to 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 directly you know saying kind of massage people's minds and yeah. get them to accept these things. But I want to go into more abstract ones, because like you said, there was that list of, of, of movies and stuff, and some of them had nothing to do with talking about, you know, saying uh, uh, the military or war or politics or anything like that, but that they communicate an ethos, an ethics, an ethic that is not conducive to those efforts. And so one of the examples that I brought up, and I talked about this on one of my other uh, episodes of my podcast, is a movie called Old Boy. And it's originally, it's a um, Korean I've film. I've seen that movie. Yeah, such it's, a weird it's a it's I really enjoy it and um yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting but really at the point at the at the end of the day what it's about is it's just it's just two men's journey on getting revenge on one another right mm-hmm. and of course you can talk all day about like you know is the reasoning right or wrong but it's really just like you following the journey of these two men who have nothing else to live for but just getting revenge on one another and that's it, you know, and, and there's a bunch of other goofy stuff that happens all around that. But that's like the, the center of it. What you may not know is that Spike Lee made an interpretation of this. Oh, shit. You know, years later. And I mean, honestly, I go back and forth on Spike Lee. To me, he's kind of like a he has a hit and then he has a miss and then he has a hit and then he has a miss. That's kind of like he's a little bit reactionary and he's a little bit uh, revolutionary and he's a little bit reactionary and he's a little bit revolutionary. Yeah, he goes. Yeah, it's it's you know, he that and that's and that's him. You know, he's yeah. and that's him. But in any case, what he does in the film is that he takes away the, I guess, like the self-centeredness of the revenge plot by the characters. Yeah. And he tries to make it into something greater, like, oh, this isn't about me just needing to indulge, you know, what I'm saying in this, in this, you know, desire. It's I'm doing this to protect my family, and I'm doing this for the sake of others. It's that, because this also plays into that of of um of how Americans are taught to look at personal revenge because we are taught that you cannot so you cannot vigilantism yeah where vigilantism may be appropriate you know what I'm saying for for where excuse me where vigilantism is hold on okay so let me back up for a second okay so and so the takeaway from that that I get 
between those two different iterations of, of Old Boy the Korean, the original Korean one, and then the American one by Spike Lee. It's, yeah. the, it's, it's, it's the framing of how each society looks at personal revenge. Yeah. 